Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Oh my goodness. Oh my damn. Oh my goodness. We're back, fam. It's been a while. We took a semester off and we are back with a round of new podcast episodes here at Triple R. When we last left, I didn't know what we were going to talk about. And I, um, like all good thoughts, I I was taking a shower and I said, I know what we'll do. We'll we'll talk about red flags. And so we got a good few episodes on those coming up. And to lead us off here, I have uh, Dr. Leah Lefevre to help us talk about the phenomenon of ghosting. Leah, thank you so much for joining the pod. Thank you so much for having me, James. I'm so excited to talk all things ghosting and connections with red flags. Yeah, heck yeah. So uh, you're, it's your first time here. So what we will do is real quick, if you could just talk a little bit about your background and who you are in the world of relationship research, that would be great. And then we'll just get right into it. Yeah. I'm an associate professor at the University of Alabama. I study the intersection of romantic relationships and mediated communication, which leads me to things like initiation processes. How do we sort of even choose which sort of dating apps we want to go to? What sort of the process more on them? What happens when relationships end in mediated contexts? What's left behind? What are the processes? What are the choices? What are the decision making between and with other people? And so looking at all things um, in those contexts and then also looking at contemporary dating lexicon. So whether that be the friend zoning, ghosting, catching feelings, I'm existing in all that contemporary conversation. Nice, nice. And as I mentioned to you off camera, that's if I if I could go back, that's probably exactly what I would study. Um, <laughs> and and so as I've mentioned, uh, in a different world, you could have you could have been my dissertation chair. It could have been a, it could have been a fun time. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we're thrilled to have you here. So I'd like to just jump right into it. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that we at the very least have a loose definition of what ghosting is. I think most people have heard the term before. To briefly summarize it, it's that thing we do where we are perhaps talking to someone or we've matched with someone and we just disappear as as a ghost would, right? Hence the term. I'm more interested in talking a little bit more about who is more likely to ghost, when we're more likely to see ghosting, and where that sort of thing pops up. So maybe if you could offer your thoughts on those phenomena rather than just the what. Yeah, ghosting has kind of become um, very ambiguous with any time you choose not to interact or engage with someone in any sort of capacity, right? Whether that be with family, with friends potential employers, employers themselves, typically sort of thinking about in romantic relationships here. With that, who's typically ghosting? Anyone sort of existing in those spaces potentially probably has ghosted someone. Um, When asking people if they've been like both the ghoster and the ghosty, most people have been both. Um, And it's sort of like a normative process with that. And so oftentimes, too, if someone's sort of ghosted or been ghosted, they're probably likely then to do that same behavior to someone else, even if they hated it themselves and sort of regret that process. Um, And it could be people sort of with that. um, If you just sort of are matching with someone in a mediated capacity, particularly a mobile dating app, or it could be someone you've known for even years in combination. And so there's lots of variation about like 
if that's an appropriate sort of process, but it can happen sort of in a fleeting moment to something much more severe and serious for a long-term relationship and commitment. There's lots of variation sort of surrounding the um, ideas and expectations and violations in association with it. Um, there's also other questions about, right, often even sort of just talking about the binary of gender, like do particular men or women sort of ghost more. There's not great evidence to suggest that one or the other does it, even if there's sort of like popular vernacular about one maybe more talking about it than another or, or the victim of it more often than another in combination about that. But typically where it's happening, it's happening in um, mediated kind of communication spaces. Um, particularly, I sort of saw like the intersection of it sort of very early on in um, online dating apps. And so looking at mobile dating apps in combination was that confluence of sort of looking at you at 4G, accessibility of smartphones, and then all the different platforms with mobile dating capabilities. And then you saw the advent of ghosting sort of emerge in that same sort of process. So lots of times it was associated with dating capacities. Right, right. And I, I just kind of want to rewind because you said it could be someone who you've only so much as like matched with them on, on Tinder or it could be someone you've known for years. And to me, that uh, uh, continuum is so far apart at either end. So when you're talking about ghosting someone, do you mean to say that like if I match with somebody on a dating app and I just decide to unmatch them because I don't know, I just wasn't feeling it, or maybe it was an accidental swipe or something like that. Does that constitute ghosting as well? Typically, yes. Um, and so the kind of distinction associated with it that I've looked at research and a lot of the other researchers who have begun to look at it, it suggested there's like a unilateral process. That at least one person has to feel there is sort of like that deficit to understand there was this absence of communication. Um, if you have sort of both people who sort of like, mm -hmm. oh, this is an accident, we weren't supposed to match, ghosting didn't really occur in that capacity. Right. Uh, same thing if you're arguing, like, did we have a mutual breakup? <laughs> yeah, yes, right. Uh, and so for some, even that slight bit of interest, if there's sort of like hope or sort of some sort of valence of, you know, excitement and association, that can be considered ghosting. Even though with that, a lot of times people are like, oh, that's very fleeting, very impersonal. And because of that, it may not constitute it for them. Um, and so any of those sort of smaller capacities can be very, more often, though, you've been like talked with them a few different times in sort of an app or you moved to texting right. or you even had dates or you've slept with them. Right. See, that's and what so I was thinking. That's that's where right. I think when we stereotypically think about ghosting, that's where we are. But you're telling me that you can have like a full on relationship with someone for years and then ghost. Like to me, ghosting has always been one of those things that we do in order to save face, which we've talked about on this podcast before. You're dating someone for years and years and years. It strikes me that ghosting them after a year that is extremely face threatening. So I, I, I was just shocked to hear that there are even instances of that, uh, let alone that it's been that it's been like you know documented as a trend in the research. It's, it's scary and impressive. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot sort of association with sort of early on some of the ghosting. A lot of scholars sort of argued, are we just dealing with withdrawal and ostracism that mm. we sort of have all together? And there are parallels for sure in combination with that. The media capacity where you have like consistent kind of um, perpetual contact with someone and or the idea you can have like ambient access to someone, right? I could see where you're at. If you logged on to Instagram more recently, where are you sort of checking into different places? I can see all these, right? You're location based. And so because of that, it feels very different than someone who just like withdrew from the relationship because you have all these constant kind of connectors that are also sort of taking place. But to get to sort of the one that has sort 
the longer term, I had many different participants, both in sort of interviews, focus groups, open-ended, talk about these longer standing relationships where they chose to do a face threatening, right? They didn't want to sort of have that risk or have that sort of negative interaction. And they chose to withdraw. Even reviewers on different studies I've had said they had very salient moments where they remember people not showing up or not having a communication or their apartment was like totally cleaned out and they were ghosted and never heard from that person again. Wow. That is so extreme. Okay. So I'm glad that we, we did that because that provides a much more nuanced and complex definition than, than I think the traditional thought on what ghosting is and is not. And, and you kind of nicely transitioned there into my second question for you, which is, you know, can, can we sort of unpack why it is that ghosting seemed only to emerge with the advent of online dating? Because like up and leaving somebody is not new. Right. But why specifically is this element of ghosting where we completely cut off all communication? Why are we seeing that uh, in, in these unique technologically infused dating spaces? Yeah. And some of the reasons people say are very common, right? So it doesn't matter. So the modality and even sort of when people are talking about ghosting, they still talk about in sort of the face to face capacity now even. So with that, they have contact and all these other capacities in addition to sort of face-to-face is like an equal sort of equivalent modality. But sort of why it sort of emerged oftentimes, I think, in mobile dating apps and how people talk about it, right? The grass is a little greener. You have potential to swipe and see other people. So maybe you've started this and then you're like, oh, but there's sort of a larger interest. But it's different than the face-to-face before because maybe you had a plethora of people available to you. Mm. (laughs) But online dating, you have even a greater capacity and association to potentially have matches, right, Um, and connect with people. And because of that, you're like, you're going to have multiple all at once. So you could Mm. be talking to five or six different people all at once. You could be going to multiple dating apps and talking to many people, right? I'm going on three or four dates tonight, right? (laughs) Are you? Congratulations. (laughs) I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Like, hey, I'm going to like go to this one. If that one doesn't work, I'm going to meet this person. I'm going to go to this one. I'm going to meet this person. Now that is some scheduling mastery. Very impressive. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But when I have the opportunity to connect with so many people at once, you're not going to be able to maintain all those connections or even have interest. And you might have potential to even have other interests in combination with that. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I think that if we consider the the onset of technology as like an impetus for, for ghosting, I think that that really helps us wrap our head around why we've seen so much more of it now. Maybe it's not that we're seeing more of it per se. Maybe it's just that it's more prevalent, as you said, larger net online that we can cast means more potential interactions. Statistically, if we mm-hmm. are dating 100 people instead of 10 people, we're going to be ghosting more people just just like stochastically. So I think that that's a really, really good point you bring up there. So that kind of leads me into the question that I wanted to spend the most time on, which relates to the theme of the season. Now, because it's episode one, I kind of want to just walk us through this real quick. A red flag, colloquially, is understood as like a behavior or a quality in another person that is somehow grounds for immediate relationship termination, right? As opposed to like an orange flag, which is like a warning sign. Um, Now, we don't always act, right? Sometimes we see red flags and we're like, nah, whatever. (laughs) We'll talk more about that later in the season. But ghosting, to me, is certainly an act of relationship termination, but I'm not fully convinced that it's a red flag. So 
my question to you is just straight up and down. Do you see ghosting as a red flag? And then, well, I have a follow-up question to that, but just broadly, do you see ghosting as a red flag? I would have to, if I had to definitively say, I would say no, because it's sort of become very ambiguous. Like with, if you're sort of in these spaces, you're probably ghosting, um, sometimes intentional, sometimes not, um, just sort of, sort of the mass we talked about potentially you're looking at, but in combination with that, sometimes you're doing it for very legitimate reasons, mm. right? Like, so for instance, you just match the person quick second. You didn't mean to swipe them. You were just busy, et cetera, whatever that might be. That was sort of a small iteration. Sometimes it's safety concerns too. Um, so there's sometimes really legitimate reasons or sometimes you did communicate it with it and then they didn't understand it. And so they perceive that as sort of ghosting combination. And so even if you're like a, a chronic ghoster, yeah. that may be more problematic. Well, that, that, was, that was my follow-up, right? It's one thing to ghost. If you have a pattern of ghosting people, at what point do we then say, okay, this this is a red flag, but right, if you've matched online with 15 people and you've ghosted 12 of them, and the only reason you didn't ghost the other three is because they never texted you back, is that a problem, is that a red flag? And if so, is ghosting the red flag, or is there maybe something deeper going on there that, that is the red flag that is being covered up by the ghosting? Yeah, I, and I think to your point, the point where if you've been covering up, lots of times people who've been the, the ghosty, right, received it multiple times. I think there might be a red flag in some of their behavior even, for instance. So mm. like communicating with all these different people and you've been ghosted and lots of times when asking people sort of the questions like, how often have you been ghosted? Um, they've been ghosted many different times. So then maybe being a little more introspective <laughs> about your particular, are you coming on too strong? Right? Are you right. doing things that are like negative? And even asking people why they ghosted other people, sometimes it was sort of behavioral things, whether that be sort of like an attraction element that they didn't sort of find appealing, or sometimes they found it very explicit, right? So what if you're like racist or homophobic or any sort of iteration that they're just like, no, thank you. Right. And so they choose to sort of ghost an iteration with that. So if I were to sort of say that red flag, I would say not necessarily a red flag, but not inherently. I think yeah, as you peel it back, because I know sort of talking online, a lot of people share their ghosting stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if something came up where you're just like, mm, you know, sort of like, is this a habitual thing? And then are you going to ghost me? Eventually, that would definitely be a red flag, but more probably individualistic rather than a holistic assessment about ghosting. So I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm hearing that ghosting is not necessarily a red flag, but rather it might actually be a reaction to a red flag. Uh, and and therefore kind of like almost like a defense mechanism, not a defense mechanism, because that kind of comes with uh, inherent insecurities. But uh, like, yeah, like a, a, a response, an adaptive response, perhaps to problematic behavior or simply due to a lack of attraction. Yes, I would say that is spot on, James. Thanks for summarizing that for me. Um, sort of looking at very reactive in the process. Now, some might say, like, maybe I'm being too um, easy on the ghoster in this sort of process. But I think there's lots of times really good reasons for that. So I wouldn't necessarily suggest holistically it is um, a red flag. Yeah, I've always advocated for the perspective of there's nothing you can really do. You can't blame another person for not being into you. You know what I mean? If someone just doesn't have yeah. feelings for you or isn't attracted to you, that's really not anyone's fault, right? And so if mm -hmm. they can't take the hint and you have to be a little bit more explicit through your stonewalling or through your avoiding tactics, then, you know, so be it, I suppose. Um, interesting. You know, this wasn't on my list, but 
because you sort of answered my fourth question already, I wonder if you think that maybe the dis- the disinhibition effect has anything to do with this, which for the listeners, the disinhibition effect is simply the tendency that we have to feel less responsible for our actions when in a large group and in the context of online communication, we feel the disinhibition effect because we feel detached from our avatar. So like we, we don't feel like our Tinder profile is us. It's a representation of us, but it is not ourself us. And so therefore we might be more willing to be bold or upfront, or uh, maybe that might make us more willing to ghost. Do you think that there's anything to that? Yes, I definitely think an association that they don't feel the ramifications of their person, right? You didn't have to actually tell them that you weren't interested in some sort of capacity and see that response or even see that emotional sort of connection. Um, the question itself is actually really interesting because we're currently working on an additional sort of ghosting study that is asking about regret of the ghoster mm. and sort of like, what they're choosing to do that. And so we've sort of just done a collegiate example, but then we're going to build that to a larger population of general um, adults with that. And we're actually seeing about a little over 50% do have regret for ghosting the other person. And so I think it sort of is spot on what you're articulating is that they're not necessarily feeling those ramifications. So they feel like they can ghost to begin with, but upon introspection of that, whether it be short term or long term, they're like, oh, I wish I would have still have this person to connect with. I wish mm. I wouldn't have been so hasty. And I wish I wouldn't have done it in the way because if I would have potentially had the ability to communicate with them directly, then you could maybe return to that communication if you actually communicated. So that was kind of that. What that makes me wonder is what is the motivation of the regret? Do we regret doing the ghosting or do we regret no longer being able to talk to this person. So what I mean by that is it's like, do I wish that I had ended things more directly and explicitly, or is it that I just I wish that I could talk to this person again? That would be my area of, of intrigue. Hmm. We're looking at something open-ended and we haven't sort of figured out all that, but the, what we are seeing is people regret not being able to further connect with that person. Hmm. Um, and so it's just like what you're saying. It's not necessarily, um, I think that's really interesting, the act itself versus right what the action did. And more often than not, it was the person that they miss in that mm. process um, and the communication they had, whether it was just, you know, very ego boosting, sort, small, short conversation, something more meaningful to it that um, in introspection that they're like, I, I missed the interpersonal connection that I had and I chose to sever that in a way that doesn't allow me to usually fix that. You know what this makes me think of? When's it going to be? Episode number six. We are going to be talking with Dr. Dibble about backburner relationships. Mm-hmm. And yeah I, yeah, I see why you lit up like that, because <laughs> what I'm thinking about is, do we regret the ghosting because we were excited to do a backburner relationship? I'm going to have to ask him a question about ghosting, mm-hmm. the relationship between ghosting and backburning. So that'll be for then. I do have um, uh, another question for you, and then maybe we'll have time for our bonus question. But uh, you already kind of touched on this. I just want to reinforce it. Because we have established together that ghosting itself is not inherently a red flag, how and when might it be actually a good idea uh, to to um, ghost someone? And perhaps can we reconsider ghosting as a mechanism of agency done by people who would traditionally be powerless or less powerful in these sorts of relationships? Yes. Um, ghosting oftentimes when people have utilized it, mechanisms that, that they perceive as very appropriate and I think 
more normative behavior is sort of safety oriented, um, whether that sort of can be harassment, stalking behaviors and association, or sort of just like lots of times they even indicate that there's something creepy or uncertain or unknown about this in that process that they found that um, as a very appropriate sort of choice. But even in sort of others, so I think I was asked the question before and sort of asked a lot of different participants, and this gets to sort of like, when is it appropriate? Uh, sometimes when you're still having the very inner, impersonal sort of interactions and connections, they find it's actually more appropriate to ghost than to say, I'm no longer interested because you're assuming that the other person was interested to begin with. Mm. And so that's why you get sort of this very gray area about like, at what point, right? Is it two conversations? Is it 10 conversations? Is it three years? Obviously, as you get more commitment and more severity to the relationship and what you're sort of thinking and the goals and sort of um, ideals of association with that, they, they find it more inappropriate. But yes, it does give a lot of agency, particularly if you don't really think that an interpersonal relationship with any more substance was established for you or the other person, but particularly any time that you don't have power in that relationship, that at least gives you the opportunity to withdraw and maintain your so efficacy and association. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also just in terms of like, it's almost respecting another person's time because I'm thinking about, for example, the phenomenon of getting stood up. You take a shower, and in my case, you know, I maybe I have a shave, and I do my skincare routine, and I get all nice and pretty, and then I go out somewhere because we were supposed to meet up somewhere, and then the person just doesn't show up. I've been stood up, as opposed to I match with somebody, I'm texting them for a little while, and then I just never hear from them again. And I'm like, well, that's a bummer, but at least I didn't put like a bunch of effort into becoming the best version of myself only to find that this person's not here. Yes. I think it's, it's harder, like those easy sort of choices when you haven't really established those versus if I have I connected you on multiple social media, I see what you're doing in comparison to connecting with me. I think it's when you further establish that entrenched sort of networks that, right, that, that agency you're sort of giving creates more hurt and harm to the other person and sort of coping that. But I will say there's some... There are some ghosters out there who also have learned what they're doing to other people. So it was really great in a couple of the studies they said, sort of understanding that process, that they said now that they've ghosted people and they felt it themselves, <laughs> <laughs> that they would never do it to another person. It was a very small percentage that sort of talked about that. But they actually sort of gave their own agency to suggest that they're not going to do that to other people now that they understood the toll that it actually meant for themselves. Well, that's great. We love self-growth. Mm-hmm. We have just a couple of minutes left, and in that time, I want to ask my bonus question, which is, quite frankly, what's up with the Snapchat logo? Is that a reference to ghosting, or is that something that, is that just a happy coincidence? I feel like it's a happy coincidence. I've definitely had people ask me, is this just a platform for ghosting? <laughs> it would feel like it, especially right with the ephemeral nature to it. It's short-lived. It's going to disappear. It's not necessarily long-standing, mm -hmm. although we know different sort of mechanisms of platforms rise to the occasion of um, with that Snapchat sort of seems in vogue for particular types and sort of college students use Snapchatting more often and they're the one probably utilizing ghosting in a relationship mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. often. But I would say it's very circumstantial in that process um, unless they were already thinking about ghosting beforehand. But I haven't seen that sort of acknowledged that they helped sort of create that trend to begin with. What it are your been, thoughts? It would have been crazy. I think that the ghost icon comes from the idea that like you send a message to a person and then it disappears. Although mm -hmm. 
in recent years, they've given you the option to keep texts that you send um, yep. and, and such. I like the idea that, right, you don't send a message, instead you send a message and you disappear. <laughs> I, <laughs> my, okay, my producer is telling me that it was inspired by the Wu-Tang Clan's ghost face killer, which that is, that makes me want to subscribe to like Snapchat premium. I did not know <laughs> that the CEO is that into the Wu-Tang Clan and I'm a big Wu-Tang Clan fan. So, wow, that is shocking to learn. Um, I guess we were both dead wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. I never would have predicted that one. Sheesh. Okay. Well, one interesting thing about Snapchat is that it provides us with the opportunity to rapid fire message someone without the, uh, you know, the inherent uh, threatening element of giving them your number. And that can lead to some really interesting other red flags, which we will be talking about all season, including next week when we're going to be talking about with uh, uh, we'll be talking about love bombing with Dr. Tara Suunyatichai-Porn. Very excited for that conversation, but for now, we are done. Leah, thank you so much for this insightful conversation. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, James, for having me, and I can't wait to listen to the rest of the season. <laughs> well, like I said, we'll have Dr. Tara on then, but until then, I'm super excited to be back. I know my producer is excited to be back. I know the guests are excited. We will see you next week to talk about love bombing. All right? Take care. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication.